The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles now and open them to uh, the second letter to Timothy chapter 3. And this evening, our message is, uh, again, living for Jesus. And this is the last part of this particular area of the subject of living for Jesus. And this is about living as a learner and about the importance of Bible study in the Christian life. Now, this evening's message is perhaps the most practical of the five that I've uh, preached on living as a learner. And that's not to say that the others weren't practical, but this one is more of a nuts and bolts type of message. It's a how-to message, and uh, what I want to do this evening is to give you a blueprint for Bible study. The importance of studying the Bible is impressed upon us by scriptures such as 2 Timothy 2.15, where the Apostle Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I explained earlier that that verse means, study there means to be diligent. It means to, to be approved by God, to be a person that is approved by God. And you're never going to be that person unless you know who God is and what God wants from you. So study in that verse means to be diligent and to make an effort towards this. In the Greek, it's in, in, in the imperative mood, which means that it's not optional for us. It is command that the Apostle Paul gives, that we are to be diligent in learning the Word of God and learning what God would have us to do. And then, of course, there are other places in Scripture, many others, that do teach the importance of knowing God's Word. Uh, last time, we looked at the 119th Psalm. And we, see, we saw in that psalm the many blessings that David said we have of knowing God's Word. But I think perhaps the, the one that really nails down this whole issue very succinctly would be our text verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I want to start reading at verse number 14, uh, 2 Timothy 3:14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now there the Apostle Paul tells us that the scriptures make us wise unto salvation. That is, we find in the Bible saving faith. And of course, saving faith is something that Paul has in mind. But we know that he's reaching far beyond just the initial faith of the believer. Because he, when he talks about being wise unto salvation, he means knowing everything that is in the faith. And in that sense, it, uh, faith is everything that there is to know about Jesus Christ. That is, all the doctrines of the faith. Anything and everything that corrects your life and draws you closer to the Lord, that makes you holy, that's what Paul has in mind. How do we persevere for Christ? And that is to be in the doctrines, in the study of God's Word. All of the scriptures, he says, are given by inspiration of God, and that is the single stamp on the scriptures 
that make that the very thing that's worth more than anything else that we can learn. We need to know the Word of God because it is the Word of God. You know, I love it when there are church members that come to me and they, they say to me about preaching, uh, just give us the Word. Cut out all the fluff and cut out all the stories that go with that. Just give us the Word so that we can go grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is exactly Paul's M.O. as he uh, taught in the Scriptures, or as he wrote Scripture. That is, give them the doctrine and then explain to them the practical implications of that doctrine and let people see how this rules their lives. And so if you want to grow in the Lord, you can't limit yourself to listening to one or two sermons a week. You can't let me do all of the work for you. But you have to participate in this process through your own personal devoted study. Now, we've talked about important topics uh, concerning the Word in previous messages. We've been over inspiration of Scripture, and we've learned what that is all about. We've learned why the Bible alone is trustworthy and why it is the very thing that we are to study. We've discussed the necessity of the Word in the sense of what it does for you, that there is salvation that comes from it, there is sanctification and preservation because of God's Word. We've also discussed the neglect of the Word and common excuses that Christians give for their ignorance of Scripture, why they never have a personal time of Bible study. So we've been over those things, and I hope those messages have at least done this for you, that they've raised some concern about doing better, about wanting to study the Word of God and to know it better. And uh, I know that some of you are very serious about that. And I do thank the Lord for that. You are serious about having personal time. Some of you have family time of devotions and there is a a great part of your life that 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 shows up uh, the bible shows up in your enthusiasm to come to church and to hear the word of god and well as i would say put up with the sermons that i preach so at this point i hope that you're ready for just some practical how-to's about studying the word so we're going to start a new outline tonight and this will finish this particular part of the series and it's just a very simple message about Bible study. Some months ago in the fundamentals class, we had a, a lesson on this, and this one's going to be a little bit different than that one. But if you still have that lesson, which you should, it's in your workbook, you can review your notes and then just kind of add them to what's, uh, what's said here, and that'll hopefully give you a good picture about studying the Bible. So we have just two major points that I want to bring to you this evening, and the first of these is methods of Bible study. Methods of Bible study. The way that you and I study the Bible will be similar, but not necessarily exactly the same. It's not that you couldn't study the way that I do, because you could, but you have to realize that when I talk about Bible study for myself, I'm speaking of an occupational thing, that I, I'm going to spend time in the Word of God uh, every day where I'm thinking and rethinking and going back over and studying things and reading things over and over again to tried to get the sermons uh, prepared for you. And so your method of Bible study is not generally not going to be exactly like mine. Now what I've done is I've read all these books and helpful tips there are about Bible study and about uh, how to prepare sermons. And uh, finally I decided I was just going to give up on all the books that give you the tips and just do the thing the way that works best for me. 
and you might think, well, the best thing for you to do is to go back to the tips because this is not working so well. But uh, I, I'm still going to, uh, you know, I've got my method, I've got my way of doing things, and I'm going to stick with that. So I've got this method, and uh, the tipsters say that when a preacher studies the Bible, that what he ought not to do is to read the Bible looking for sermons. But I'm not of that opinion because I don't think sermons are going to fall into my lap. And I don't think that when I get up into the pulpit, I'm suddenly going to become inspired and everything's going to come to me. So I do read the Bible looking for sermons. So you could study the Bible exactly the way I do. You could study it and look for sermons, and the end result of that would be that I would be fighting about 10 or 15 of you for, for pulpit time because you'd want to preach your sermons. So you might not want to do it that way, but there are methods that you can use just the average common Christian. Well, maybe I shouldn't say common. The common Christian should do what God says. But it turns out most people uh, doing what God says seems to be the uncommon thing anymore. But you as a Christian at home, there are methods that you can use to study the Bible. So I'm going to give you some of those. We'll start with this, and that is to study a planned lesson. And I say a planned lesson because organization is always a good way to get into Bible study because you're going to suffer if your method of looking at the Bible is simply to skip and hop around to different places of the Scripture, reading this and reading that, and never settling down to something that is organizational in the way that you study. Now, you'll notice this, that in the lower grades of our church, there is a planned lesson for our children. The Sunday school teachers uh, have their books and they have their stories and applications that are made out of that. And you come into the office on a Sunday morning, uh, you'll often see teachers in the office there copying their, uh, an outline or pictures, whatever they might have, for their children to color in class. Now, you might not want to get a hold of one of those study books and to use that kind of plan method unless your thing is, is cutting and pasting and, and coloring. If that's what you like to do, then perhaps that's what you'd want to do. But... Uh, we can still have a planned method without going down to the lower Sunday school departments to get that kind of a book. And this is what we've done on Wednesday nights, that we have a workbook for studying the fundamentals of the faith. And if you come and you show up for that class, then you already understand that that workbook is there to get you organized. Uh, the workbook is there to stimulate your thinking, to get you going in the right direction. Uh, so you see the doctrines of the Bible, and that is a starting place. And if you come, you already know that's not the ending place. There's a whole lot that gets added to that workbook, but that workbook is the organizational method that gets us started. And so we expect that the thoughts that are introduced and the scriptures that are there are going to be studied, and what they will do is to stimulate you for your own study in God's Word. So that's the first step that you're going to take. You're filling out that workbook. Well, that workbook is not the only one that you'll find. There are many others that can be used. There are lots of study materials that are available, but you do have to be discerning about them. If you go to the Christian bookstore... Uh, you'll find more junk than at a flea market and all kinds of books that, you might, uh, that they might encourage you or workbooks that they might encourage you to use. Whenever you see books that begin like this, seven steps to this and ten steps to that and the secret of this and the key, key to this, well, back off those kinds of books because usually what you have there is seven steps to wasting time and ten more steps to wasting time and then you have the... Uh, secret of time-wasting, and then you have 
keys to how to waste your time. And it just keeps going on and on. So you have to look for something that does get you organized. And I can think of a good way to do this, is that almost every sermon that's preached in the church has an outline that goes along with it. And as we preach from those outlines uh, that we make up, um, we, we're into usually a prolonged study of something or other as we do that. And there isn't anything that prevents you from taking that outline that's been prepared and the scriptures that are used and just researching all of that to another level, take it to a, a, a deeper level so that you, are, you have an outline for it, you've got an organized method there, and so you can just do a, your own study of the Word of God. Now, that, that's a good thing to do because when you look at the scriptures that we use for support of the points that are in the outline, you'll find that each of these scriptures has its own context. And if you look up those scriptures and begin to get a little bit deeper in that, it can lead you into all different sorts of paths of study in the Word of God. And so you always have the opportunity to take that outline and do more with it than I've done. I mean, there's, you, you'll begin to see with scriptures, if you follow the scriptures that are there, that uh, either me or Brother Dalton, either one, there is just a lot that we have to leave out just for the sake of time. And so if you want to use those outlines as a, as a way to uh, have an organized method to study the Bible, that'd be a good way to do it. Now, I want to comment, if I could, just for a minute uh, about preaching from planned lessons. And, and many churches use that. It's a denominational thing with many churches. They have a lecture series that's followed, and every week the uh, pastor or the preacher is going to preach a lesson that's been prepared by the denomination. I don't like that. And I, I'll explain to you a little bit later what I think is the major method of preaching ministry. Um, and I think that's the method that should be used. Ironically, I'm not using that method tonight, but the purpose is a little bit different this evening. But what I don't like is to have somebody else make up the points for me. I don't like somebody to tell me what I need to preach and, and to do all that for me. I find it very difficult to preach what somebody else has already prepared. So I want to do my own sermons, make my own outlines and so forth. I don't want anybody to tell me how to do that. But there is this plan, left, uh, lesson, uh, plan lesson method. And on your level at home, that's something that can help you to get started. And so you can follow uh, these different lessons to get you organized and stay systematic about studying the Word of God. Now another comment that I'd like to make on this as a side note is that along with studying the Bible and getting just into an in-depth study of it, alongside of that, you ought to really just have time for reading the Bible. Just sit down and read. And that's not necessarily a time where you break down every sentence in the Scripture and you look up every cross-reference that's there. It's just a time to read. Several months ago, I passed out the bookmarks for the Professor Horner system, the reading system, and that's the one that I use every day. And uh, uh, I will confess to you that when I'm reading that, and there's ten chapters that you read every day, I would have to confess to you that there are times when I come down to the end of a chapter and I sit there and think, what did I just read? I mean, you just read the chapter, and then you don't have any idea what you just read. You're, you're familiar with that, I'm sure. That happens to you sometimes. But there are many other times that I can be studying a little bit later, and that's my time to get more in-depth in the Word of God, and a scripture comes back to my mind that I've just read. I didn't necessarily track it down, didn't necessarily go into anything with it, but I remember that I read that scripture, and I find out that that scripture is going to fit perfectly into a sermon. 
And then other times, I'll be reading those 10 chapters a day, and there is something that sparks my interest. And so I stop right there, and I do a little bit further study on that particular scripture. But honestly, that's not the design of that system. That system is not designed to get you into study of God's Word necessarily. It's to get you to read the Word of God, to get familiar with God's Word, and to make the Word an everyday part of your life, to make it a part of your routine every day. Now, that's not just a routine, but it, it's to get you involved with the Word of God, to foster a love for the Word of God, so that whenever there's a real-life situation that comes up that you need God's Word, then you can recall it from scriptures that you've read. I remember Matt Kaczynski and I were discussing something similar to this a few weeks ago, and uh, there were some scriptures that I'd used in a message, and uh, he had the opportunity to talk with someone at work, a co-worker I think it was, and um, he was discussing a totally different thing than what I was talking about in the message. But those scriptures that were used in a sermon came to his mind, and he was able to use those in talking to this person about a completely different subject. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when you read the Word. If you stay in it, then the Holy Spirit will cause you to recall certain things when you need them. Regular Bible reading does that for you. And sometimes you don't even realize it at the time. You might not even think that you're getting anything out of it. You'll have those times. And you get done reading that chapter and you say, well, I, I can't remember what I read. And then the Holy Spirit can use that and bring it back to you. And you'll think, well, I just read about that. There is a scripture in my scripture reading today. I just read about that. And that reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples in, in John chapter 14 when he said, when the Comforter has come, which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, of course, when Jesus spoke that, he was uh, speaking on a much different level than what I am tonight. But still, the principle of it applies. You might not remember everything that you read at the time or everything that you hear at the time, but Scripture begins to stick in your mind. You begin to, when you familiarize yourself with it and you're regular in the Word, then you'll have the opportunity to use God's Word. Someone says to me, and I've had this happen many times, they'll say to me, well, this happened, this thing happened, and I didn't know what to say. Somebody asked me a question, and I didn't know what to say. I, di I didn't have an answer to give them. And I didn't say it out loud, but I think this all of the time. Well, how much time do you spend reading the Word? Why don't you have an answer? How much time do you spend reading the Word? Here's some very good advice from Peter. He said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason, the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, there's a lot to be said about that verse. It comes from Isaiah chapter 8. That's the reference for it. And it's about recognizing Christ as the sovereign ruler of your life. But you think about what Peter said there when he wrote that letter. He says to sanctify God in your heart. And how are you going to do that without God's word? This is exactly how that's done. We sanctify the Lord God in our hearts by knowing God's word. And you're never going to be able to give an answer to anyone unless you have knowledge of God's word. And so here's the point. Bible reading and study is about making scriptures the rule of your life. It's the daily bread that you need to nourish your spiritual man. And you have to have this every day. Have study time. Have reading times. 
And even when you don't think the word is having an effect, it is having its effect. Now, another method that you can use is to study a subject. You pick a topic in the Bible. You take a subject and you study that particular topic. For example, you might want to study baptism. What, what is it that the scriptures have to say about baptism? So you may uh, look up all the scriptures that you can about baptism and um, uh, some research that you might do, here would be a good one to find out. What do the scriptures have to say about infant baptism? And you look up all the scriptures that you can, and you find out that, strangely enough, that the scriptures don't say anything about it. There's not a word in the scriptures there about it. If you study baptism and you look up all the references in the scripture, you won't find one example of infant baptism in all the scriptures. It's even a stretch to say that there's any inference to infant baptism. Well, you're already drawing conclusions. You're already learning something, aren't you? You've looked up all the scriptures about baptism and you found out that here is a doctrine that's being taught all over the world today by many different people and you can't even find a word about it in the scriptures. Or you might take another doctrine, uh, perseverance or preservation, and you might look up that and study that. What does the Bible have to say about those doctrines? Well, as it turns out, the Bible has a lot to say about that. I remember... Um, I was preaching on that particular topic years ago in the Statement of Faith series, and we got stuck on that topic, perseverance and preservation of God's saints. And we ended up with seven sermons dealing with that one particular topic when it was intended just to be one sermon. But that's what the Bible can do for you. When you start to look things up, you, you find some very interesting things in the Word of God and help you to, to understand things a whole lot better, the doctrines a whole lot better. Uh, we talk about computers and things like that, and I, I don't know if computers are the best things that happen to us. Uh, sometimes I think that it's really, really good for us because software became available, Bible software. And I was thinking the other day about the first Bible program that I got. Uh, it was years ago, and I, and I had this on, a, on an old 286 Tandy with one meg of RAM. And uh, I got that Bible program, and I thought all of a sudden that the heavens had parted and the Spirit of God had descended upon my hard drive. I mean, uh, I, could, I could just put in baptism, and all these references to baptism all over the Bible would come up instantly. Not exactly instantly, it only had one meg of RAM, but it was there a whole lot faster than it was looking through 1,500 pages of Scripture. So that was a wonderful thing that I thought. So at one time I thought, well, the computer is the best thing that we could ever use, but then after years of using computers and tablets and smartphones and things like that, um, I find that the ability to actually use this Bible, look through this Bible, is somewhat impaired by that. I don't have to remember things like I did when I'm using my, this, this Bible right here. There, there is something, I think, that's very special about turning pages in your own Bible and getting those pages dirty and spilling things on them and marking up your copy and having all those things that are in your personal copy, just getting intimate with the feel of the Scriptures, just the book itself. There's something to be said about that. You can't get intimate with a computer. When a computer gets old and ready to go, you throw it out. But you ever tried to throw your Bible away? We have some Bibles in the office that are kind of tattered and torn, things that... Bibles that we passed out to con for congregational reading and over the course of time they've got used and, and uh, hard to, you know, the pages that are torn and so forth. So we collect them in the office and the other day we were looking at those and, and uh, 
said, what do we need to do with these? Well, the first thought, throw them away. We don't, but then, have you ever tried to throw a Bible away? That's a hard thing to do. And so, with my own personal Bibles, uh, I've had at least four of them rebound. Uh, they get worn out and so forth. I have four of them rebound because I just can't get rid of a Bible. But this is a good thing for us to do, uh, is to take a topical method, and you have resources like Nave's Topical Bible, if you want to write that down. Nave's Topical Bible. You can get that on your computer, or you can get a hard copy of that. And uh, that's, a, that's a book that'll give you subjects, topics that are in the Bible, then all the scriptures that go along with that topic. If you have a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, or if you want to get one of those, those have, that has their, its own system of, of cross-references and topics that you can look up, and that's a good method for studying the Bible. But I want to remind you that when you're using the, the topical method or studying uh, a particular doctrine in Scripture, that what you always want to do is to consider context of what you're reading. Context is the most important thing that you'll ever consider when you're studying the Bible. If you talk about baptism, for instance, uh, the Mormons have uh, built an entire false doctrine on the misinterpretation, a false doctrine about baptism on the misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And so what the Mormons have been doing for years now is baptizing people 365 days a year, seven, or seven days a week, 365 days a year, proxy baptisms for the dead in order to baptize anybody proxy-wise that's ever lived. And that's just stupidity. That's, that's a, it's built on ignorance of context. And so you have to watch out for things like that. Cults and others, uh, those who want to misinterpret the Bible, they're good for taking things out of context. And then thinking about baptism, here's another thing that you'll find in studying baptism, if you looked all that up, that you would also find that there are zero references that say that a Christian is baptized by the Holy Spirit upon conversion. There aren't any references to that, and yet that's almost a universal doctrine in Christianity. I don't think it's one of the most serious errors that we have, because the Bible does talk about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it only speaks of it in reference to Pentecost. And so if you wanted to look up the scriptures on that, and baptism and how that works together, you, you would find that that's not actually in the Bible. So I want to remind you again that the most important principle here in studying the Bible in that way is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics means the interpretation of Scripture. And that is extremely important to look at the context to get the hermeneutical of that particular passage of Scripture. So no matter what method you use, at some time or another, it's going to lead you to the subject method. Sometime or another it will. Even if you're studying the Bible verse by verse, you'll get into these subjects as you see them in the Scriptures. So if you want a good way to learn about the doctrines of the Christian faith, use a subject method. Pick out justification or baptism, sanctification, election, predestination, and so on, and just study and look up how many times that is used in the Scripture and learn what the Bible has to say about it. Now, I think about, for instance, the doctrine of election. I, I think I mentioned this in the bulletin uh, last week, I think it was, that I remember the first time that I met Wilson Mongo. And we were uh, sitting in the IHOP restaurant there in, here in Rona Park, and we were discussing election. And I'm always interested in these kinds of things, and I wanted to know what did he think about the doctrine of election. And so uh, he, I didn't give him any prompts. I didn't say anything to him. I just said, what do you think about that? What is that? 
And so he explained the doctrine of election, and it turned out that it's exactly what I believe. And so I said, well, how did you come to that conclusion? How do you come to those conclusions about what you believe about the doctrine of election? And he was very puzzled. And he looked at me, and he said, I read the Bible. <laughs> and another missionary to Jamaica was there with him, and he just nodded his head. Yeah, we, we read the Bible. And the missions coordinator was also there, and he said to me, this is what we find. Our native missionaries, when they read the Bible, they come to these conclusions, and they would not come to any other conclusions if we had not exported erroneous Christian doctrines from, the America, from America. People are confused because they have all the preconceived ideas when all they need to do is just read the Bible. And that was a, just an amazing, confirming statement to me. Throw out your ideas and what somebody has told you and just read the Bible. And I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear at all that you'll find me out when you read the Bible. So thirdly, we have another method of Bible study. Uh, another method is to study a book. And this is my favorite. I think that this is the best. Certainly it's the best for preaching. Get a copy of a book. Get the purpose-driven life. Get uh, your best life now. And just dig into all these amazing nuggets of wisdom that are found there. No, you know that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, there, there hasn't been a greater time waster for Christians in some of these books that have been written. Uh, Christianity, Christianity is diluted by these nonsense books. But what I'm talking about, of course, is to study a book of the Bible. Now, that, this one trumps all the other methods of Bible study because I think and I believe that this is the way that the Bible was intended to be taught. And so I think that it's the primary method for preaching in the church. And so for the past 13 years, this is what we've done. We've always had a, a Bible study going on in a book of the Bible. Sometimes we've even had as many as three that were going on at one time, and that's a difficult thing for me to do. It's hard to do. But study the Bible and study a book and just go deeper into that book and see what that book means. In the second year that I was pastor of the church, um, I preached uh, through the book of Ruth. And as we looked into Ruth, there were many people that came away from that series that were stunned, actually, about how, how intricately connected that the book of Ruth is to the story of Christ in redemption. Then a few years ago, not long ago, I was preaching on the book of Ruth again, and I only had one sermon to survey the entire book of Ruth. And I just mentioned some of the doctrines in passing that you find there. And I remember there was a man in the congregation who heard this, and afterwards he said to me, he said, I don't see that. I just don't see all these things that you're talking about that are in the book of Ruth. And so I said, well, here's what I'll do for you if you can't see it. I mean, I didn't, I'd only preached one sermon that day and one sermon for four chapters. And I said, if you don't see it, then what I'll do is I'll get all the transcripts together of the series that we did that I preached on the book of Ruth, and I'll send you those transcripts. So I did. I got them all together, and I emailed all the, all the documents to him. And he read those, and then he commented back to me, and he said, this is absolutely amazing. I said, I, did not, I, I didn't understand this. I have never seen anything like this before. I had no idea that Ruth contained so much information. And this is what you find when you begin to study a book, when you start to get in-depth studying that book. And so you might ask, well, could I get the transcripts and let me read those? And my answer is no, because that was a limited-time offer. 
You can't have those transcripts. So what I want you to do is to do the work yourself. Get in down, get in depth with the book, do the work, track the thing down, study that, and you can take those four chapters and that would be a real good place to start your Bible study to see what the book of Ruth actually teaches. Well, people will say, uh, they would ask, well, what is the worth of that? There's, uh, so many, there are so many things that are in the Bible. Why would you spend time, uh, why, why would you want to consume yourself with such a long study of one book. If we do that, then we're going to miss everything else there is in the Bible. You know, somebody actually told me that, that we're going to miss it. But is that true? You know, I never wondered how long that it would take us to get through the book of Matthew. I never worried about that. After almost seven years, and we'll get close to 300 sermons in that book, do you think that we missed the Bible as we've gone through? No, oh, actually, we've covered a tremendous amount of the Word of God. Uh, back in chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, there were 60 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, on those three chapters. And what did we learn there? Well, we learned the entire doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ in that series because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus or was Jesus' manifesto of his kingdom. And so as we study that, we're taking and study Matthew, we're taken all the way from the beginning back to the book of Genesis, and we're brought through to the life of Christ and, well, actually a study of Israel too, into the life of Christ, onto the millennial kingdom that he promises on earth, and then also to the eternal kingdom of heaven. So we don't miss anything by studying one particular book of the Bible. What we can't do is we can't dig out all the gold that's in one of these books of the Bible. We just keep going further and further in. And what you don't get when you're skimming and hopping around different places of the Bible, you're just picking up pebbles that are on the surface all the time. And you never see, you never see what's beneath that surface. This was actually the complaint of one of the families of the church that left, is that the complaint was that the husband of this family could not see the purpose in taking time to study one book of the Bible and go through God's Word. And what he was looking for was pep rally sermons, rah-rah type of sermons that skipped and jumped around, but that's not the way to study the Bible. So you get down into the Bible books, and you find that books of the Bible contain references to other books of the Bible. For instance, Matthew, which uh, that's the example I'm giving you now. Matthew uh, reaches into all different parts of the Bible. I was talking about Genesis this morning. Genesis has tentacles that reach into all parts of the Word of God. And then you come to the book of Matthew, and Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, and there you find Jesus going back consistently to Old Testament, to the prophets, to the law, to the Psalms, and quoting from there. And we just get this whole panorama of the Word of God just by taking one book in the Scriptures. And then you think about subjects when you're doing that way. A studying book, a subject that comes up. What about where Jesus said, didn't you know that God made them male and female? And if you start to study that out, where does that take you into societal order? And where does that take you in relation to how men and women work in the church together? What women are supposed to do, what men are supposed to do. What's God's ordained place for men and women in the church? And then, of course, what about human sexuality? That's a big topic today. Well, we find these kinds of things, reading topics and things that we need to study as we go through verse by verse in the Word of God in a book like Matthew. 
So you choose a method. Don't skip and hop around without purpose. And I promise you, when you get done, you'll know the Bible better because of it. And here's what I fear, or as I know it's true, maybe I should say, that when pastors use a disjointed, topical method of preaching the Word of God, the people come up short. They're not very deep at all in Bible understanding. So, that's methods. The second thing that I'd like to look at, and I have to hurry here, I didn't realize we're getting so late. Uh, the second thing that we want to talk about is the mechanics of Bible study. So you've, you've chosen a method, you've got a planned lesson, you've got a subject, you've got a book or whatever. So what is it that you do next? Well, it's important that you finally decided to do it. That's a good thing. And next, how you approach that method is very important. Now what I'm telling you tonight, this is just practical stuff. This may not even be a sermon. So you just look at me like I'm your mother and I'm telling you what to do. And you just listen to what I have to say, okay? There are three things, very quickly, three things that we want to remember about the approach of Bible study, the mechanics of it. The first one is regularity. Regularity. And that happens to be the hardest one. This is the hardest one, regularity. And that's because everybody is busy. You have to have a set time. And you have to stick to that time. And you have to avoid intrusions on that time time. Now as pastor, I'm sort of like an independent contractor. Uh, in a strange twist of IRS regulations, the IRS considers, to me, considers me to be self-employed. And I don't know exactly how they came up with that, but I'm supposed to be self-employed. So as the top dog in the church, or the head honcho, whatever way you want to put it, there isn't anybody that sets hours for me. There's nobody that says, well, you have to be at church at this particular time, except for services. I'm going to be here for that. But nobody says to me, well, these are the hours that you have to keep. You have to be here at church at a certain time, and you can leave at a certain time, and you fill in that time, and if you don't, you're fired. No, you, you just have to trust me that I do actually work, even though some of you think that I don't work, but, uh, but I do. Now, if you don't see my car in the parking lot, that's not a sign that I'm not working. Because what I do is keep a very tight schedule. And I stick to that schedule. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be prepared to preach when I come in here three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If I don't stick to a schedule, I'm not going to be prepared. So if you were to call me up and you say, well, here's what I need you to do. And I need you to do this at this particular time. This needs to get done. Well, you might very well hear me say, I'm sorry, but this is what I have to do today. This is what my schedule is today. This is what I have to get done. And that schedule is extremely important to me. So I never sit around and say, well, I need something to do today. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Even many times when I take vacations, that's just an opportunity to get more done. So the schedule that I keep is very important to me. And I don't alter that schedule unless there is an emergency. And I hope you appreciate that because I don't believe that sermons fall from the sky. So I'm very particular about the schedule. It's just like if you're watching a TV show. If you're like Lino and you watch a regular, t you watch a regular TV show, like as the, as the raindrops fall or the dewdrops rise or something like that, uh, you know that this, this show is going to come on at a set time. And TV producers know, well, there's no audience for a show that doesn't come on at a regular time. And we know that about church attendance too. There's no attendance at church unless we have a regular time. 
And so if we decide to change the time of a church service, it gets announced over and over and over and over again because we're not going to have anybody here if nobody knows the time. So we're very particular about the time. And that's the way that I am. That's the way I have to be about Bible study. So my day starts like this. I get up very early and I read the Bible. That's, that's how the day starts. I just read the Bible. I don't do anything else. That's before the workday actually begins. I read the Bible and then the workday starts. And as I'm reading the Bible, I also pick up Table Talk. That's the daily devotional that I read. That's better than daily bread or daily affirmations or some kind of cycle babble. So I read, uh, I read uh, the, the Table Talk magazine. I do that along, uh, read the Bible along with that. And with rare exceptions, with rare exceptions, that's the way the day always starts. And this is what you have to do. And if you don't, what will happen is you'll find something is always stealing your time away from you. Regularity, a set time, is extremely critical. It's a very practical thing, but it's something that you have to do. If you're serious about studying the Bible, this is what you have to do. Now, the second word is reliance. Reliance. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He's the one who helps you, or as the Bible calls him, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who's the real teacher, and you have to pray, and you have to rely on him to guide you through the word. What the Spirit does is he illuminates the mind. He shines the light on the word so that you can see into all those hidden places that people don't even know is there. I mean, he shines the light around the corners to the twists and the turns of Scripture that are God's paths in the Word. Did you know that? Surface study is never going to get you there. You'll never be able to see the labyrinth of truth that lies underneath the surface. And that's why when you take a book like Ruth and you just study, I mean, you look at it, you just read it through, you end up with a story about two people that meet under very strange circumstances, it has a happy ending. They get married and they have a child. And that child happens to be the ancestor of David and of Jesus Christ. And that's true. All of that is true. But those are just pebbles. That's not even touching the surface of what's in the book of Ruth. Because you begin to look at this and you think about, well, what about the gall? What about the gall that's talked about in the book of Ruth? The kinsman redeemer that's there. And then what about uh, the other Old Testament connections that have to do with laws that govern who can be married and why that they should be married? What reasons for them to get married? What about marring your inheritance? What's that about? And then why is that so important? What about one shoe on and one shoe off? What does that mean? And you get into that and you begin to study and say, well, there's a background for all of this. I mean, that gets you deeper into the Word of God. Now, another important reason that you need Holy Spirit guidance is because he gives you strength to accept the conclusions that you get from the Bible. You see, what the Bible is going to do when you read and you study, it's going to trouble you about sin that's in your life. It's going to trouble you. What, is the, what did Timothy say? The, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for instruction, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And so when you get into the Word of God, you find that's what it's going to do to you, and the Holy Spirit helps you to accept the changes that need to be made in your life. And so the Word is very convicting. And don't think that you're ever going to get into Bible study and come out the same person that you were before you went in. That can't happen, not if you're a child of God. And the problem with many of God's people 
is they're no different from the first day that they became a Christian. And that's because they care to take no time studying the Word of God. There hasn't been any growth. And these are the Christians that you have to stick a pacifier in their mouth every week because they're always upset about something. They just don't like something. doesn't matter what it is, they're just not going to be happy. You won't be that kind of a person when you have your own personal time of study in God's Word. So pray about what you study. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Now the third word, and we're finished here, and that is the word resources. The Bible, of course, is the main resource for study. We never forget this. We never forget that of all the things that we pull from the outside about the Bible, it's never going to substitute for the Bible. But we also keep in mind that, and we thank God, that there have been many Christians that have gone on before us and they've left helps for us to get through the Word of God. They've helped their brothers and sisters in Christ in the study of the Word of God. Now, I mentioned a moment ago the computer. I mentioned knaves. Uh, I'm amazed with an iPad. I can have thousands of pages of resources with me all the time. I can study for a sermon anywhere that I am. And I remember, though, going back to when I was 18 years old, which is uh, prehistory, I think. But I go back to 18 years old, and I remember when I was 18... I bought my first set of commentaries. I was very interested in Bible study, and uh, I was teaching the youth department. I started youth department at 18, and so I bought a set of commentaries and began to study those. And uh, what I wanted to do was to have the students hear the Word of God and understand the Word of God and not make class or the youth department all about playtime and fun and games. So the commentaries. God, God has gifted good men to write commentaries about the scriptures. And many of the best ones come from pastors who have taken the benefit of all the study that they've done uh, for their sermons and put those down in books, wrote those things down in books. And we have those today, and we have the benefit of all the research of those sermons. At the same time, there are many bad commentaries that are out there. And I have a lot of experience with this, so if you want to buy a set of commentaries, come and ask me, and I'll tell you where you should go. A few years ago, I was going to buy a set of commentaries, a new one myself, and I had no idea, uh, very much idea, about what this particular person believed who wrote the commentary set, but I did know that he was an independent Baptist preacher. And so my, my uh, idea in buying this particular set was I wanted to get a perspective from someone who had a premillennial position. And uh, most of the commentaries that I have are not premillennial. So I, I wanted to get this independent Baptist preacher's commentaries to look at his premillennial positions. But aside from that, I wanted to submit to him, I mean, he's, he's still a living author, so I was able to write to him, and so I wrote to him with some particular scriptures, and I said, I'd like to have your interpretation of this scripture. So one of the scriptures that I wrote to him about was Acts 13, 48, and I said, what do you think about this? And the explanation that he wrote about that scripture was so convoluted that I checked 30 different commentaries and only found one that even came close to what he said. And that commentary was one that was written by J.W. McGarvey, who was a Campbellite who believed in baptismal regeneration. So you have to be very careful about this. And then there were other scriptures that I submitted to him and said, what's your comments on these? And none of them were any better either. So I knew, stay away from that particular commentary. 
Now, this is what you do when you study the Word of God. You stay frequent in it. You're able to pick out the flies from the ointment. You know which things are bad. But if you need some help with that getting started, I'm willing to help you. I can point you to other places or two places where you can get good commentaries and things that you can read. Now, the, uh, we talk about Bible software, for instance. The, this is good because uh, people have developed Bible software, and along with that goes all of these other resources that you can get. So you can have all kinds of commentaries right there on your computer that you can read and you can study. And uh, you always remember this, that the commentary is man's interpretation of Scripture. It is not Scripture itself. Not everybody's going to be right about everything. So you have to just keep studying, keep developing, and as you study these things out, then you'll begin to understand, well, who's good and who's bad on this particular subject. So get commentaries. That's a good way to do that. Other resources, we talked about uh, study Bibles this morning, and we're supplying study Bibles for Brother Mongo's graduates. And that's a, that's a very good method, but we also, or a good resource rather. But we also have to remember that a study Bible, the comments in a study Bible, the comments aren't the Word of God. The text is the Word of God. The comments can be wrong, but there are many good, good study Bibles that we can use. So if you need resources, if you, if you, you get these methods down, what, the way that you need to go about it, get your reliability down, and uh, get all that, that settled and, and get your prayer life settled and what you're going to do and asking the Lord to guide you through it and then get the kind of resources that you need that will help you to study the Bible. Now, I remember there was one preacher who said, and there's been many more, but I remember this particular one, who said, I don't use any commentaries at all. I just read the Scriptures and I just take my sermon straight from the Scriptures. And that sounds like a very noble thing to do, and you can do that. But I would tell that pastor, well, you sound like you taught nobody's opinion either, but just yours. Now, what I do is I read, I read, I read, I read, I study and study and study and pull these things together from many different sources and then try them all by the Word of God. And that's what you need to do. Get the resources. I can help you to do that. So a very practical lesson on studying the Bible. This is not one of those sermons that is going to make you run down the aisle and say, I need to get saved. I raise my hand. Now pray for me, preacher. Uh, it's not one of those sermons. Just practical. Just practical things that you need to do to learn the Word of God. And I promise you this, that if you study God's Word, you will live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time spent tonight. And a very simple message and nothing uh, earth-shattering here or going very deep at all the things that we have to do. I mean, we have to get these things down first before we're ever going to be good students of your word. So help us, Lord, to, to get the methods down, to get the mechanics down, and to be prayerful people, to ask for your guidance. And Lord, put all these things together and be good students of your word so that we can learn to live for Jesus. Help us tonight, Lord. Make us better servants of yours throughout this week as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org